This information is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or tax advice. Please consult your attorney or accountant to discuss your particular business situation. SBA's participation in this presentation is not an endorsement of the views, opinions, products, or services of any of the participants, persons, or entities. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. This information is as current as April 28, 2020. Okay, hello everyone. I'm Evan Leong from Brain Gain Hawaii, and welcome to today's Save Hawaii Jobs and Businesses webinar for April 27, 2020. If this is new for you, we have a resource folder with updated memos and previous webinar videos on YouTube. Please make sure you review those documents before asking questions since most of the answers are in those documents. Okay, so let me introduce our team for today. We have Jane Sawyer, who's the Hawaii District Director for the SBA and our champion for Hawaii small businesses. Darren Leong is a specialist in employment law from the law office of Darren R. Leong. Stacy Katakura is the CEO of Accumulus, which is an outsourced CFO and accounting firm. And Jeff Harris is a senior name partner at the Torkelson Law Firm. We also have Buddy Leong, who's an analyst here at Brain Game that handles communications in our back end, as well as today's webinar chat box. And Coco Leong, who's our editor at Brain Game in charge of content, video editing, YouTube channel, and podcast. We're going to take questions through this webinar through the Q&A module only. If you post it in the chat box, you'll get a message from Buddy saying post it in the Q&A box. Please upload the questions in the Q&A module and we'll do our best to answer these later in the webinar. Okay? Please note this is a fully volunteer effort. This team has personally answered hundreds of questions, email threads, and hundreds of billable hours being donated. No one has been paid for the free pro bono work that's been done to help as many white employers as possible. So please keep this in mind. Um, legal disclaimer is this information is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or tax advice. Please consult your attorney or accountant to discuss your particular business situation. SBA's participation in this presentation is not an endorsement of the views, opinions, products, or services of any of the participants, persons, or entities. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. This information is current as of today. So let's start with Jane Sawyer. Thank you. Aloha everybody. Um, hope you're having a great afternoon today. It's been a busy couple of days here, probably since Sunday for many of us as we awaited the rollout of the second wave of the PPP loan program. And that's probably what you're most interested in hearing more about today. This round brought up about 310 billion to follow the first 349 billion that was rolled out in um, stimulus programs for small businesses. Um, that first program, the loan uh, account went out to small businesses in just 14 days. So Congress stepped up realizing that they were gonna need to put some more money to um, accomplish some of their goals and objectives. And nobody has known what really uh, this unprecedented um, pandemic is really going to serve up to us. But we started rolling out these loans on mo Monday morning, and we're seeing the same kind of uh, progression with the money moving very, very quickly. Now, Congress did segment the loan programs a bit to try and make sure that the loan funds did flow to the very small businesses, rural businesses, and minority-owned businesses as well. So. There's some adjustments in the system, and that's proving a little bit problematic for um, many of the smaller and medium-sized banks. Um, so 
we're seeing some of that. At the same time, a lot of the funds are flowing and loans are being made to small businesses. We aren't seeing the kind of um, flow and approval level that we want to see. So we're working really closely with uh, SBA headquarters and Treasury um, and our congressional representatives to try and remedy that as soon as we can. As of this morning, um, overall, there were 475,000 loans approved. Um, $52 billion already um, was processed by 5,100 lenders, and that includes larger banks, our local banks, working really hard to get those applications processed, and then also um, credit unions and fintechs um, that are available for processing. Um, for our smaller lenders, um, between 10 billion and 50 billion, or excuse me, our larger lenders, they did nearly 84,000 of those, those loans. The smaller lenders for le that have assets less than 10 billion did about 331,000 of those loans. And that volume already exceeded the $30 billion cap. So we're all into the bigger pool to draw down money at this time. So we're trying to work on getting those, those other controls uh, that were put into the ETRAN, the, the digital system, loosened up and make the flow of capital to smaller businesses through our banks. They're working really hard. They've been at it since the, the um, program opened up. Uh, there is also money that's going to the IDLE program and we'll see some of that start flowing later this week. Um, we have seen some progress in getting through the loans there. The first round with the economic injury disaster loans through SBA, we saw 4.3 million applications. And when they ended closing up the portal, about one and a half million of those have been processed. We see that about 9,000 advances have gone out to Hawaii small businesses. So that means you're in the queue, you're still processing. If you're interested in checking out what's going on with these loans, go to www.sba.gov and you click on the banner on the top for COVID-19 and you can get in to get up-to-date information, learn if the lender portals are open for your application and if there've been any new uh, changes or adjustments to the loan program. So back to you guys. Thank you, Jane. Um, so I, I want to cover um, just sort of how we've been fighting or helping at least try to, to fight for this round two funding um, and also uh, publicly give a, a, some credit and props to our, our congressional uh, delegation. So what happened is on Sunday, the day before the new funding was supposed to go up live, um, uh, we were alerted that uh, there was a new set of rules being put into place. And it was being touted by the media um, as a cap put on large banks. And that cap was $60 billion per bank uh, for total funds. Um, and they also slipped in a second rule which said that large banks, if they had a minimum of 15,000 applications, could bulk upload the entire set of applications at one time. And so when we saw that, um, we immediately identified it as extremely problematic um, because number one, the cap is not really a cap. If uh, it was $60 billion, 
then that would mean that the largest lender from round one, which was Chase, uh, would have received four times the amount that it did in round one before it hit the cap uh, because they did 14 billion in round one um, uh, and four times that amount uh, would be uh, essentially the 60 billion. Uh, we also identified that if successful, a bank could essentially bulk upload $46 billion of applications at one time. And uh, uh, being very concerned about this, we reached out to three out of the four of our congressional delegates uh, uh, who well, we were in touch with and they responded very, very quickly. Um, and they have been working over the past few days to uh, raise uh, the flags on this issue internally. Um, what happened is on Monday, the SBA ended up uh, changing. And again, this is the national SBA. Uh, this is completely out of the hands of our local office. So the national SBA uh, issued a, a new rule knocking the $15,000, uh, excuse me, 15,000 minimum applications bulk upload. They took it down to 5,000 applications bulk upload, uh, which still would not help Hawaii at all. Um, and uh, said that there's a time limit of 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern time to accomplish those bulk, bulk uploads. Um, it appears from the limited uh, information reported by the news today that those bulk uploads uh, do not appear to have uh, either gone through or are not being um, accepted. So at this point, uh, it looks like today National SBA has essentially said they're they're abandoning that approach and going back to the one-by-one -one approach. Um, the other thing that SBA is doing is putting essentially a, a frequency filter onto uh, eTran, which is intended to slow down any particular bank um, in terms of how many applications it can upload uh, in one hour. Um, on the surface, that would presumably be a good thing for Hawaii because uh, it would slow down some of the very, very big lenders in terms of how many applications they can push through. Uh, in practice, uh, the, the last day and a half has been very, very difficult uh, as we understand it for our, uh, our banks. So um, uh, at least it appears to be somewhat more of of a level playing field, but our banks are, are working very hard uh, with both local SBA and internally to get as many applications in as, as they can. Um, if we see uh, publicly published numbers from any of our banks, we will uh, roll them out to, to you guys. Um, but uh, that's a long-winded way of, of saying that um, we are watching this closely and uh, trying very hard to get as, as many dollars into uh, Hawaii as possible. Okay, uh, on to some of the substantive um, questions. And just as a preview for the kind of remainder of the hour, um, a few things that we are intending to cover, um, um, I'm going to cover in, in a minute uh, a memo that we just published today on the Google Drive for uh, the certifications in the application. Um, and, and meeting those requirements. Um, we're talking about some of the uh, tax uh, implications and uh, a few of the forgiveness issues. Uh, spoiler alert, there are no um, official guidance yet from SBA or Treasury on forgiveness rules. 
Uh, we, I think, still expect it sometime this week. But uh, if if that is the number one question, that is the one that we're still eagerly awaiting. So I'm going to uh, hand it to Jeff for a few questions. First is, uh, Jeff, the uh, PPP has dropped the requirement that a business, um, you know, not have credit elsewhere uh, from the requirements to get a PPP loan. Do you, wa do you want to add some commentary on that? Simply to say that although you, you, a borrower that has a loan is going to need to document uh, their use of the loan and allowable purposes and, and a need for that loan, one of the things that the statute itself says you're not going to have to explain away is your ability to get credit elsewhere. The statute itself says credit elsewhere during the covered period, the requirement that a small business concern is unable to obtain credit elsewhere is defined in 3H shall not apply to a covered loan. So my interpretation of that is, sure, sure if someone pushes you later and say you really didn't need that loan, the certification you, that you gave that that loan was necessary to, um, to maintain your business is not going to look behind what whether or not you could get a loan and what impact it would have on your business. That said, both Darren and I agree that as, as you look at the memo that we've published, that would that would be one of the sort of questions that you should should analyze and be prepared to answer. Am I was I illiquid enough? What were bad things going to happen to my business sufficient so that I in good faith applied for that loan? Uh, Darren, do you want me to go on now to the forgiveness issues or, or handle those yeah. later? Yeah, Jeff, can you talk about um, the actual mechanics? I, the statute does um, have some helpful tidbits on what documentation is going to be required to be provided to the banks. It's actually in the statute. Do you want to cover that? Yes, Darren. No matter, no matter what sort of items will be forgiven and what you're going to use them on, at the end of the eight weeks, the bank's not going to be able to, the bank is going to be the entity that initially decides the extent of the loan that is forgiven. And the statute itself says you must be prepared to provide specific documentation to the bank before they're allowed to, to forgive. And that's in, that's in 1106E. And it's, it's worthwhile going through the list. It's a documentation verif verifying the number of full-time equivalent employees on payroll and pay rates for, for the entire period, payroll tax filings reported to IRS, state income payroll and unemployment insurance filings, documentation including canceled checks, payment receipts, transcripts of accounts, or other documents verifying payments on covered mortgage obligations, payments on covered lease obligations, and covered utility payments, and then there are several certification requirements. The, the reason we're emphasizing that now is your, your accounting of those, of those payments that you're making from the covered loan that, that you would like to get forgiveness on, you're, you're not only going to have to be careful about where you make those payments and for, for what purposes you make those payments, Darren, but you're going to have to have this specific documentation before the bank's even allowed to forgive any part or all of your loan. Thank you, Jeff. I, I think um, 
try to write myself a reminder. We'll, we'll go ahead and update the forgiveness memo to include the, the items that are listed in the statute uh, as the documentation that is going to be uh, required to, to provide. Um, uh, one more question, Jeff. Um, switching gears slightly, um, do you want to provide some update on the interaction of unemployment insurance uh, to PPP? Okay, uh, I, I was I was pleased to hear our director of labor Scott Murakami report this morning that at least approximately forty percent of the unemployment applications that have been filed since May seventeenth, I mean, excuse me, March seventeenth, have have been decided. Some have been denied. Some have been granted, and that the ones that have been granted, individuals have received both the state benefit and the corresponding federal unemployment benefit. That, that, that implies that the other two thirds of the 150,000 or so people that have applied for unemployment have not had a decision made yet. And the, the director this morning reported that they're enlisting other public workers to join in that effort to make the determinations. The, the paperwork that we've seen on those determinations is unusual, and they're, they're working through this difficult process, um, apparently in new, new ways that we're going to learn about as, as they move on. Um, the, 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 the other point that I'd like to make is if you, if you do indeed have um, a loan and you, you do want to work on forgiveness, I can set, suggest other than pro bono or, or maintenance or, or cleaning up your workplace, uh, I know one, one area that you're going to need a lot of help in, and that is apparently on your accounting staff. Your accounting staff is going to have to help you um, uh, document the uses of these loans and put together the paperwork that what we, we just described. The mechanism there is, is as we've described previously, you're going to want to give a specific written offer to the employee and, and offer them just about their full, full wages. And if, if they reject that, you're going to advise the unemployment office and that employee will qualify for neither the state unemployment or the corresponding federal unemployment if they reject the offer. Um, Anything else you want to cover on the unemployment, Darren? Sure, sure would be helpful for the accounting staff if the Treasury would issue some guidance on forgiveness. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just being sarcastic. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, and, and, and of course, it's been you, a long month. Um, you, you and I can really, really get them to do that, can't we? Yeah. Um, okay. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, so let me let me switch gears to um, the certification memo. Um, so we published on the Google Drive. I think Buddy has either posted it or can repost it to the chat now to, to put it front and center. Uh, I think the link to that drive is also in the email blast you folks received. Um, we hesitated quite a bit on whether to publish this uh, because uh, in no uncertain terms are we telling you to either keep or give back the money. We are just trying to make sense out of the complete ambiguity provided by Treasury as to what standard you're actually going to have to meet um, to, to to meet the certification that the 
uh, loan is necessary to maintain operations. So what we've done in this is to try and extract the, the key terms that would be factors in um, establishing that a business needs the money to maintain operations. Uh, so I, start, I would start by going straight to the application form, okay? And there's three certifications in that form that at least caught my attention. Um, the first one is that all SBA loan proceeds will only be used for business-related pur purposes uh, as specified in both the application, uh, the loan application, and also consistent with the Paycheck Protection Program rule, which is essentially the law. The second certification is, is the big one, which is that uh, economic uncertainty, a uh, current economic uncertainty makes the loan request necessary to support ongoing operations. The third certification is that funds will be used to retain workers and maintain payroll or to make mortgage interest payments, lease payments, utility payments, uh, again, as specified under the Paycheck Protection Program rule, which is the essentially the, the law, the CARES Act. Um, and those are the certifications you're gonna meet. There's been all kinds of threats coming out of uh, the, the national um, treasury on this uh, issue, uh, sparked, I think, in large part by uh, news coverage of the Los Angeles Lakers taking a loan and uh, Shake Shack and all the rest of it and some other coverage about other large companies who are saying, too bad we're keeping the money. Um, all of that has, has caught the attention of the media and therefore kind of filtered its way back up. And so uh, the word coming down from Treasury is that every loan over $2 million will be audited. That's automatic. So that, that rule has been issued today. So if you are in a company, um, and I will note that to hit $2 million, uh, that is for a number of our companies, is, that's not large for Hawaii. Um, it's sort of in the mid-size of some of these companies. So uh, if your loan is over $2 million, you will be audited. Um, if your loan is under $2 million, you might be audited. Um, and they're basically saying, uh, you need to comply with this certification that it's necessary to support ongoing operations, whatever that means. So the, the other points at which we glean sort of um, factors to support come from the Treasury Q&A, uh, which we've included in the memo and uh, we cited to last Friday, which is a Q&A directed at large businesses, but talks about having adequate sources of liquidity. And Treasury has repeatedly now talked about um, companies with adequate sources of liquidity, um, implying that such companies uh, likely do not meet the certification requirements that the loan is necessary to maintain operations. However, that Q&A also drops in other language. So they say that you should take into account, quote unquote, current business activity, um, that also you should take into account ability to access other sources of liquidity sufficient to support uh, ongoing operations in a manner that is not significantly detrimental to the business. So they add another clause in here uh, that's not defined that says liquidity uh, matters, but it also matters whether accessing that liquidity or that money uh, is going to sig is be significantly detrimental to the business, okay? 
Uh, then there was another Q&A today. Uh, that Q&A is very short, so I'll read the entire thing, which says, do businesses owned by private companies with adequate sources of liquidity to support businesses' ongoing operations qualify for a PPP loan? And the answer is C response to FAQ 31. So uh, what you can glean from that is that, again, there's an emphasis on adequate sources of liquidity uh, and that businesses owned by private companies, that is gonna get some extra scrutiny, but I think you can tell by my tone, which is getting increasingly sarcastic as the weeks go on, that uh, uh, Q&A 37 is not particularly helpful. Um, uh, the other two are, I think, very, very helpful, which is interim final rule number one, which states that the act's overarching focus on keeping workers paid and employed. Interim rule final rule, interim final rule number one also talks about Congress's overarching goal of keeping workers paid and employed. And on this point, uh, when we're talking about a lot of ambiguity over whether you should or should not keep the money um, and whether you can meet these certifications, then uh, I, I sort of go back to the core purposes and principles of the PPP as the safest place to be, which is that if what you're doing is keeping workers paid and employed and meeting Congress's overarching goal of keeping workers paid and employed, that's going to be looked on more favorably than if you are not doing that. Um, interim final rule number four uh, also includes a quote unquote safe harbor that says if you give the money back by May 7th that they're essentially not gonna do anything bad to you. Uh, and they call it a safe harbor. So what can be gleaned from that? Well, uh, for those businesses that end up keeping the money, um, it may uh, they may consider uh, some kind of uh, declaration, which I think is is uh, Jeff's stance on this, or just an internal memo, uh, which I think is my stance on this, presumably from the person who signs the application, because they're the one who made the certification, um, that tries to lay out facts that support each of these aspects of of the certification requirements. So, so first of all, Describe the current economic uncertainty and how it affects your business, right? How, does, how is the shutdown affecting your business? Are you required to be closed? What is the expected duration that you think uh, is going to be caused? Again, the focus is on demonstrating economic uncertainty, right? What's going on with your current projects? What's happening with your customers right now? What are your revenue projections over the next few months? The more uncertainty is in uh, each of those answers, the more you should be able to establish economic uncertainty or current economic uncertainty. Uh, the next factor I think is necessary to support ongoing operations. Um, and I think we've sort of increasingly become focused on the word ongoing here. Um, so describing what it takes to maintain ongoing operations, how employees are necessary to support those ongoing operations. How is money that's needed for rent or utilities or other things needed to keep operations going, to support ongoing operations? Uh, and describe how that, uh, what your expected drop in revenue is and how that expected drop is going to uh, cause you or has caused you already to engage in layoffs. 
because again, it goes back to the purposes of the of the statute. Uh, describe how laying off employees brings uncertainty and whether you will be able to get them back later. So in other words, if, uh, uh, if you, you have to lay off employees because of the economic uncertainty, then ongoing operations may be affected because you might not be able to get that employee back later because they're not on your payroll. So it's another factor. Uh, next factor, retaining workers. How are the funds used to retain workers? And we go back to the 75-25 rule. If you are using the money 75% uh, percent, um, to retain workers uh, and 25% for those non-payroll costs, then you know describe it. Um, the next one would be maintaining payroll, which is very similar to retaining workers. But when we talk about retaining, uh, excuse me, maintaining payroll, you're talking about maintaining payroll levels. So it's not just keeping the workers, it's keeping them paid at, uh, at level um, and describe again how you are paying each of these workers at least 75% of their uh, prior wages and how you are keeping them on staff. Um, also how you're using the funds to make mortgage interest payments, lease payments, and utility payments. Um, the next factor would be current business activity which comes straight out of the Q&A. So on this one, what is your current uh, business activity, because that is a factor in whether you meet the necessary requirement. So are sales down? And I think the answer pretty much 100% across the board, uh, or 99% across the board is yes. Well, how much? Uh, and how much are they down compared to your fixed expenses if they're particularly high? What are your short-term projections? So uh, we glom on very heavily to this term current business activity because we think that gives the door open to uh, to make an argument about the factor that we think is is the one that really should carry the day, which is that if you're expected to have substantial loss in revenue as a result of the shutdown, um, and that will cause you to lay off workers, then you know PPP will cause you to bring them back. I think that that falls right under current business activity. Uh, and then finally, and this one is the big one because it's how Treasury has focused on this issue is uh, the company's sources of liquidity. Um, Jeff, Stacy, and I have debated whether it's external sources of liquidity, loans, et cetera, whether it's the ability to raise capital externally through stocks, whether it's cash on hand. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not going to take a position on that now other than to say Treasury is definitely said other sources of liquidity matter. Um, and uh, the caveat though to that is, um, is they're saying other sources of liquidity, if you tap into them, would, would it be significantly detrimental to the business? So if pulling on a gigantic line of credit is gonna cause severe harm to the business, or if you have cash reserves, which might be other sources of liquidity, and you drain them to keep your employees on payroll, uh, can you demonstrate that that would be significantly detrimental to the business? The more you're able to do that, the more you would be able to meet the certification uh, requirements. So again, these, you know, we're, we're dealing with a whole bunch of terms that are undefined uh, an increase in ambiguity that has been rolled out through the guidance over the past week. And we are trying to bring uh, kind of 
something into focus so that it is uh, useful to the extent that you're going to um, try to establish or, or make sure that you are ready to defend your business if you are challenged on whether you met the certification of necessary to um, support ongoing operations. Um, one sort of last tidbit, and then I'll, I'm going to pass it to Stacy, and then we'll take uh, some Q and A's. Um, is uh, this never-ending uh, question that's coming up about whether you can use funds uh, that are unused past June 30th? Um, there certainly has been all kinds and manners of uh, thoughts on this floating around, and so uh, I think. Uh, at this point, gone over it quite a few times, but uh, I'll, I'll give the summary, which is that I think there, until Treasury and SBA officially say through some kind of document that you are allowed to use um, unused funds past June 30th, I think there is at least some risk attached to that. Um, we've, you know, we've done a very, very thorough uh, legal analysis of this. Um, we acknowledge that a number of others have differing views of all sorts on this. And so you should consult your own attorney or tax advisor um, uh, on that issue. And if Treasury or SBA uh, give an answer, we will roll it out to you. Okay, um, Stacy, uh, state taxes and how um, PPP will be treated uh, uh, for state tax purposes. Can you provide an update on that? Sure, and I, I wanted, before I do, I just wanna um, add on to what you just said um, in that um, the borrower is, um, has really the, the bulk of the responsibility in making that certification. It's, that you're, it's the borrower's responsibility to be able to calculate forgiveness, the loan amount, and, and certify that um, you've done everything that you can to qualify forgiveness. Um, you can sorry i'm gonna I'm gonna interject just for a second and <laughs> sorry and then hand it hand it over um, it it's to the extent a bank tells you that you know uh, this that or the other just just know that the banks have been given essentially immunity on this issue um, the q and a's make it very clear that the certifications are not on the banks they're on the borrowers so you know, just because you get some kind of informal guidance from a loan officer or someone at a bank, um, I do not think that absolves you of all risk. Uh, the, the, the certifications are clearly on the borrower and that responsibility falls squarely on their shoulders and their shoulders alone. Sorry, Stacey, go ahead. That's okay. That's okay. You said it much better than I was trying to say it. So, <laughs> um, so the taxability of the PPP forgiveness, um, the loan forgiveness, as you know, is exempt from federal income taxes. Um, there, uh, there was a question I saw in the Q&A module that asked how to report that on your tax return. Um, presumably, you know, when the 2020 tax forms come out next year, there's probably going to be a special line for it because typically uh, the cancellation of debt income is taxable for, uh, for both federal and state income tax purposes. Um, you, uh, we, I, did, I did bring this up, I think, on the Friday webinar, but I wanted to bring it up again. Uh, there is uh, currently some discussion, at least, um, some advice being given by the Department of Tax um, from some, certain um, practitioners, practitioners that have been asking uh, whether or not the 
loan forgiveness is going to be subject to GET. And I, we did see a response come back that stated um, their position initially that the uh, cancellation of debt income is taxable for state income tax purposes. And they're still um, not sure about what their position is going to be for general excise tax purposes. Um, so I, uh, again, I think I, I said on Friday, but I wanted to reiterate again, um, the ultimate decision is going to be made when the legislator issues its conformance uh, with the federal law uh, early next year. So I would urge you to contact your legislators if you're concerned about having to pay this both federal, I mean, both, both the state income taxes and the GET. Um, I would urge you to contact your legislators um, and, and voice your concern. I, I, I am in the process of, um, I've, we've talked to the Chamber of Commerce and I think they have, they are lobbying, um, they, they're deciding whether or not to write a letter um, uh, to the governor and to the legislatures. I um, wanted to try to see some of the letters out there and try to provide a, a form letter for our listeners in our Google uh, Drive, um, if, you, if you guys wanna grab that later and, um, and use that to, to uh, to um, voice your concern with the legislators. I, I think um, I think it's gonna be pretty easy to have the state income tax conformity to federal law. I think just considering where the, the, um, the state is with the, the loss in uh, revenues for GE tax purposes, that um, that might be a little bit harder, harder of a, a win. Um, so the more that I think business owners can um, voice their concern about having to pay the GE tax and the state income tax, uh, the, the better our chances are going to be of um, getting that much needed, much needed relief. Um, and then secondly, I, I did touch uh, last time on the, um, the employee retention tax credit and as well as the payroll tax deferral and its interaction with the PPP. Um, I do realize I, I, I probably talk a little fast, so I wanted to go over it again. Um, the, so if you are um, taking the employee retention tax credit, um, you're not uh, you're not eligible for to apply for the the PPP. Uh, the employee retention tax credit is um, essentially you get a you take a credit of um, up to five thousand dollars on your employees' wages, and you the way that you take their credit is you file um, you file it on your form nine forty one, which is your um, employer uh, the the FICA and federal tax withholding. Um, the payroll tax deferral is a little bit different um, in that you uh, you can use the payroll tax deferral up until the point that the loan is forgiven. Um, so for businesses that are closed and you have a serious reduction in revenues or cash that's coming in, um, and you've also taken the PPP, you can consider using the payroll tax deferral, um, which is just limited to the employer portion of the FICA tax, which is a 6.2%. Um, you can continue to utilize the payroll tax deferral up until the point that your loan is forgiven, at which time pre presumably you would have to repay the entire amount. Um, and the, the way that you take the payroll tax deferral is the same as employee retention tax credit, and you, you just would have a reduction on your um, on your form 941 to the extent that you have a tax liability to um, take it against. Um, if you don't, there is a form out there, I believe it's a 7702, but there's a form out there that you can use to request a, 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 a ref, uh, refundable credit. Um, I think that's all that, oh, um, 
one more thing I wanted to cover too. On Friday, um, on Friday, the uh, Treasury issued a new guidance called how to calculate maximum loan amount um, on Friday, which is a couple of days before the SBA portal went open to be able to take more applications for the PPP. Um, really, really late because I think, you know, it's, it came after the, the first round of funding was gone. Um, I think a lot, some of the guidance in the calculate, how to calculate the loan amount um, was uh, repetitive to what they've issued uh, earlier. I think the, the primary, um, I think the primary uh, clarification that, uh, that we saw in it was that finally defined how to calculate partner compensation, um, uh, partner payroll. Um, because partners are typically not on payroll. Um, and that's basically the net earnings from self-employment that would otherwise be reported on your Schedule K-1. Um, I believe it's Box 14A, which is which basically defines it as any guaranteed payments that a partner's um, taking uh, plus the any net income or loss from um, ordinary business. Um, it it does and, and also it excludes any um, any draws, so it does not take into consideration any, any distributions of profits. Um, uh, and secondly, it also defined um, how to calculate a loan amount for an L, for an LLC, um, and basically it just says uh, it defers back to however that LLC is taxed for um, tax purposes. So if you're a sole proprietor. Um, you would look at how the guidance uh, outlines this, how to calculate sole proprietor income. Uh, if you're a partnership, um, it goes back to the partnership calculations. And if you are a C corp or an S corp, you would you would look to those guidance. So that, that's it for me. Thank you, Stacy. Um, so so what are the the there was a lot of guidance issued on Friday. Uh, none of it was about forgiveness. Um, so Stacy covered uh, how can you calculate payroll costs uh, for completeness. Um, I'll cover the the guidance that was uh, issued. It's a, a handful of other items. While I'm doing that, uh, Jeff and Stacy, if you can take a look in the Q and A box, if there's anything that you folks uh, want to cover. Um, and there were there were a couple of of questions that I I answered uh, in writing that I'll I'll recap here but Friday's guidance was that housing stipends are part of payroll costs um, that if you have a question of whether someone's principal place of residence is the United States uh, for the purpose of including them in your PPP that there is an IRS regulation on that um, farmers and ranchers may qualify for PPP loans uh, hedge funds and private equity firms are not eligible for PPP. Um, hospitals with minority state or local government ownership may be uh, eligible. Legal gaming businesses may be eligible. ESOP participation does not trigger affiliation rules between the business and the ESOP. So in many cases, the uh, ESOP company is sort of its own uh, separate uh, thing, housing, assets, et cetera, uh, and uh, those are not uh, counted together. Um, so uh, for purposes of counting toward the 500 uh, employee rule, ESOP participation does not trigger the affiliation rules. And then finally, businesses in bankruptcy uh, are ineligible. Um, 
the the two uh, biggest forgiveness questions that remain unanswered, uh, but I will recap them here because we get, you know, a, a lot, a lot of questions uh, on these two things repeatedly still. Um, and we think that the forgiveness uh, guidance, once it's issued, will answer them. The first is that uh, uh, relates to costs incurred and payments made. So for forgiveness, the uh, expenditures have to be within the eight-week period following loan disbursement. And it needs to be for costs incurred and payments made. That's, that's the exact language from the statute. Uh, what we do not know is whether that is literal and whether it will be deemed to be everything has to be both incurred and paid in the eight-week period, which doesn't make a lot of sense to us because, for example, uh, retirement uh, is, is probably incurred well before the eight-week period but might be paid out in it. Vacation is probably uh, accrued before the eight-week period but might be paid out within it. Certain work hours will be done before the eight-week period, but paid in it. Um, sometimes there's payments uh, within the, the latter part of the eight-week period. Maybe you have to pay your rent uh, ahead of time. Um, all of that is, un is, is unanswered. So uh, we think there has to be some kind of guidance coming up. Uh, out on that soon. We know that it's a frustration for people because we see lots of questions about it um, and we just do not have the answer. Um, the second one is what is the definition of a full-time equivalent? Um, and uh, Treasury issued guidance that clearly delineated between just an employee and a full-time equivalent. They essentially said they're different. And then they did not provide a definition of what a full-time equivalent is. So uh, that leaves us without a definition and we eagerly await Treasury, National Treasury and National SBA to provide us guidance on uh, what uh, that means. With that, I will pass over to, let's go to Jeff, uh, if there's a Q&A that you want to jump on. Many of the questions have to do with cost incurred and payments made. And as you mentioned, for example, retirement plan contributions that are made with your tax return in 2020 are most often for obligations incurred in 2019. So we'll need some guidance on that, just like we will on vacation. And indeed, there were several questions on how about if my payroll spans the span spans the loan disbursement date. And my advice on that today is use your money out of your separate SB, your separate PPP account, will be able to account for the portion of the payroll period that you use PPP funds for and, and pay the rest of that payroll period that began before the, before the loan disbursement from somewhere else. We may, we may get guidance that allows allows for payment of obligations incurred before. Uh, I think it's less likely that we'll get guidance that allows forgiveness of payments made after the end of the eight week period. We may, we may get guidance that says you may use the payments for uh, allowable purposes after the eight 
week period, but we just don't have that yet. Um, Darren, I'm I'm having some uh, internet difficulties. Okay, but um, well, the, 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 the other the other thing the other thing that I'm getting a lot of questions about is we're getting we're we're piquing the interest in the rules and the statutes by talking about them, and I'm not sure that we have all the statutes and the Q's and A's and the regulations on our website. We we may either want to link to where those matters are, those details are available, or include them on our own website. Because I, there there have been a variety of questions on folks wanting to look exactly at 1102 and 1106 yeah. and the Q's and A's. Yeah, so I would I would point to the uh, to the Treasury website, which has uh, essentially now congregated all the materials together, uh, I think other than the statute, but all the guidance materials. Um, and actually, they continue to update it and have made it better and better and better. So on this front, they have made it simpler, cleaner, and they have the dates on there. It's just getting that that one in particular has actually gotten quite good. Uh, Stacy, uh, any sort of final words on any of uh, Q and A's or anything you wanted to address? I I did see a lot in the Q and A. A lot of people are asking how to check status on um, both the the PPP applications and the IDLE. So I just so kind of address that um, in two parts. So, so the PPP loan, um, as you as most of you are aware, you apply to your bank. Um, so if you need to check on the status of it, if you haven't heard from your banker, I would call, um, I would try to call the, the bank. If you don't have a banker, call their general line. Um, I think we, we tried to emphasize um, with you on previous webinars that, um, you know, there were, there were a lot of you that we heard of that went with certain banks um, on that, that applied uh, with certain banks on the, the first day the applications were open on the third. Um, and didn't get your loans approved. Um, if you haven't heard from your banker, uh, we encourage you to look at all of your options. Um, there are other there are banks out there that are um, that are taking applications from non-customers. Um, there's also all the fintechs that are, that are out there that um, that the PayPal's and, and the like uh, that you can consider using as well. Um, so if you are not successful in hearing back on your application. Um, you know, you don't have a lot of time. I think that the funds are probably going to be gone by the end of the week. Um, so get your application in with another, with another bank that you feel you might be more successful with. Um, so that's a, that's what I wanted to say about the PPP. I think with the uh, with the idle applications. Um, I saw a lot of questions on there about how to check on the status of an idol. Um, I'll just make a couple of comments and then I don't know if Jaden wants to jump in, but what we've been seeing is I think in the last week or so, uh, we've seen a lot of companies get funded with the idol advance. Um, the idol advance was up to $10,000 um, and it was calculated based on the, the number of employees that you've reported on your application. Um, and I, it, what it seems like is uh, the it's been taking about three to th three to four weeks for the um, for the turnaround from your application date to when you see the funds in your bank account. Um, I you, we haven't seen anybody actually get notified that their um, that the funds had been uh, received in their bank, so people are having to proactively check the, their bank balances. Um, and presumably what happens, what will happen in the next step is that somebody from the SBA will contact you 
uh, some, at some point after your idle advance has been funded to negotiate your, your loan amount. Um, so that's, uh, other than that, I'm not sure how to check on the status of an idle um, loan request. Jane, if you want to address that. Uh, I know that uh, everybody has had a really hard time because they just haven't been, the system hasn't been functioning well. It's kind of like it's shut down. It's tried to take everything in that, that people had put up and then start to the processing. So we are seeing the improvement on people getting the advances and seeing more of those go through Hawaii, for Hawaii businesses, which is very, very good. Because they had such a problem with this huge volume, it was decided earlier this week, or just yesterday, that um, there were going to be some formal notica notifications sent out by SBA. And they are supposed to be going um, by three methods. They are supposed to get something in the snail mail. They are supposed to get an email. And then following up, they're also supposed to get a phone call. So, and part of that is because the quality of the information that went into the system was not even or not clear. So some people have said, oh my gosh, I put a typo in my email address. So yeah, you're not gonna get an email notification. Um, so you need to kind of look at all those methods. Are those going to be delivered to you before you get your um, advance possibly, or a notification that could tell you that there's a deficiency, um, maybe there's a problem with your credit because there are different application standards for the idle than there are for the PPP. So, and that is also, as Stacy said, you have some negotiation ability when you either get an approval or you have some discussion. So it, it's not over yet. If you haven't heard, it doesn't mean you're out of there. A little tip on if you did get an ID number or a notification number when you submitted your application, if you're, it's a nine or 10 digit number, if it begins with a three, you should be moved into the queue for processing. Um, if it begins with a two, when that portal opens up, go in and update your information because that is also, you're, you're early on and you may have some deficiencies in your application or you may need to just bring it in online with some of the changes that happened to the idle when um, the CARES Act was approved. So um, as I said, it's not over yet, um, but go and check. You can go to sba.gov, again, click on the top, check COVID-19 response, don't go to EIDLs, COVID-19, and then you select economic injury disaster loan there. Great, and thank you, Jane. And hopefully that will help a little bit. Yeah, um, a couple final comments before I close it out. Uh, I'll answer one uh, more question live, which relates to union businesses that end up paying uh, benefits uh, through, you know, through the union contract and whether they're calculated in uh, payroll costs. So to the extent that those payments of, of union benefits, et cetera, to the extent they relate to um, health insurance, retirement, vacation, essentially the items that are permitted under payroll costs, then yes, those would count. But if they are payments that relate to some other purpose, then, uh, then they will not. Um, addition, uh, there, other, addition there, ahead. there on that, most, most union collective bargaining agreements uh, require contributions based on the hours worked during the prior month. 
So they may, the union companies may have a little bit easier time allocating the, the, the expenses they incurred and the payments they make. For example, for, for this month, they may have by right about by now, the contributions due for the hours worked last month. And so for those hours of work that result in a contribution obligation and the payments made within the eight week period, they clearly have a basis for including those to the health and welfare fund, uh, the, the annuity, the retirement, uh, not so much for the training or other sorts of funds. Got it. Thank you, Jeff. Um, uh, final thought. The, today, President Trump held a uh, press conference uh, directly related to PPP. Uh, Mnuchin was present. I just have two uh, thoughts on that. One is there was a hyper focus on uh, uh, the PPP having the intended uh, effect of bringing workers back and putting them back onto payroll. That was uh, clearly the thematic element of it. And number two, it was just very entertaining. Um, so if you find a recording of that, feel free to check it out. Uh, last comments, um, our next webinar will be Friday at two o'clock uh, at, at our normal time. Hopefully we will have some actual guidance on forgiveness from Treasury and SBA. Um, uh, Evan Bethan Kozlovich and Trisha Kajimura from Kahimohala have launched a video support series. Uh, there is a link to that that I believe is, is posted. Um, for those of you looking for uh, volunteer efforts uh, for your employees or otherwise, uh, feel free to contact Buddy. Uh, I think there's a link for that as well. And uh, to, to all of our team, thank you for your continued um, efforts and, and volunteerism. It's been fun working together. And to all of you out there, stay safe. And we will see you uh, on Friday. Thank you.